about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm changing it up. New intro every episode. There was no reason to carry on the old tradition. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve. Um, it's a two-man show today. We don't record regularly in the off-season, and we thought our last episode would be the last episode. And then some big news hit. The biggest news, the hottest commodity of the coaching carousal this off-season, Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator out of Cincinnati, had signed with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to be their defensive coordinator in the 2021 season. Steve, give me your thoughts of what was happening, um, how it happened. Like, what were you processing? Yeah, so all the way at the genesis of this. We, I, I think I, in the course of speaking over uh, throughout the season, we spoke about the college football playoff. Who should be in? You know, should it be expanded? I, and we made our everything kind of clear there with our, our thoughts and how everything should be. And every step of the way, I was always giving Cincinnati a benefit of the doubt. Right. I, I was letting them know, you know, this this Cincinnati team, they are the real deal. They can compete uh, because they did have a monster defense and, you know, offense. I, I, I could don't really know too much about them, but I just kept seeing flashes all the time about, you know, this cornerback or this defense or the this unit or whatever. And, and obviously they went undefeated until they came up just short against Georgia. So they were a team that I said absolutely belonged in the conversation. They were probably my number five or number 16 throughout the season. Now with that, naturally the kind of the next step was that there was there was some news that you know Freeman, their defensive coordinator, is going to be you know essentially a hot commodity. A lot of people are going to try to pick him off. Now, you know, with uh, you know with, with Clark Lee Lay, which still don't know, never going to learn it. Uh, <laughs> with him departing and going over to Vanderbilt, that obviously left a huge hole, um, a huge gaping hole. In, in in our coaching staff. And it was, uh, you know, it was it going to be, was it Mike Elston who was in consideration? I know he's like, what, the linebackers and defensive end coach or defensive line coach? Yeah. So he's he's internal, so a lot of people are talking about him. Um, and then also, you know, you know, Freeman was came up as a candidate for Notre Dame, which made a lot of sense. Sorry for all the noise in the background. Um, so... Once it was official that he was he was officially fielding you know offers meeting with teams that's when I started to get excited started to get my hopes up a little bit I was like okay you know this this seems like a good fit I I know he comes from a, a four three traditionally so it's not like it's going to be too much of a, a different scheme wise your you know our four two five stack is basically a four three but with a really really athletic outside linebacker that's basically a quasi safety uh, you know hybrid <clears throat> so I'm I'm thinking okay it, you know th- the stars are aligning. Um, and then I knew that LSU was in the mix. I knew that there were some other kind of big names thrown out there. And I know that this guy was basically going to get the bag, right? Like he, everyone's going to be rolling out all the stops for him. And I all, you know, I, I kind of was just following along on Twitter as much as I could throughout the day, you know, in between, you know, jobs and, and, and whatnot. And, 
sure enough, uh, I saw a couple of tweets come through all at one time as as we were, you know, just DMing and talking on the side privately. You know, some some news starts coming out. I see some unverified accounts tweeting, "Oh my God, we got we got Freeman, we got him." So now I'm really excited. I'm I'm panicking. I'm like, you know, I need to find a verified source. And, and sure enough, two four seven posts an article linking. You know, it's official. He's hired. So that's when I was over the moon, really excited and thrilled because I think the future is bright and. Uh, if if he's anything like our last two defensive coordinators, uh, I think he, especially with the talent he has that he's coming into, there is a lot of damage that he can do with this Notre Dame defense. So I'm just absolutely thrilled and over the moon. So that's kind of my whole uh, arc of a story of my experience with the, the Freeman hiring. You know, the Four Horsemen podcast is ahead of the curve. We've always been ahead of the curve, even when we were, you know, a Twitter following of 40 people a couple of years ago. <laughs> we start it 1988. We start it book for Heisman. In the Georgia game, I had tweeted from the podcast, this defense of Cincinnati is legit. Marcus Freeman is running an absolute tank over in Ohio. And then last week on our last podcast, we thought for at least a few weeks, we talked about Marcus Freeman as our number one choice to be the defensive coordinator, how that would fit, what uh, what his circumstances. And then, boy, did that ever take off within a week. I didn't expect it to happen. So to recap, for people not maybe following so closely, Marcus Freeman wants to be a head coach. He's young. He's 34, former Ohio State corner, or linebacker, rather. And, um, and a super promising coach. He's rising up the ranks, wants to be a head coach. But then he gets a lot of offers from some big, big schools. So the rumors were Michigan were interested, Auburn were interested, Texas were interested. And then of the group of five, I would say, the, the five candidates, Notre Dame and LSU were the ones who, who got him for an interview. So he had a quick interview with Notre Dame over um, Zoom or Skype or whatever. And then he had an in-campus interview. I think it was Tuesday. So Monday and Tuesday, he's had basically two interviews with, with Coach Kelly. Thursday, he goes to LSU. And at this point, the biggest concern for Notre Dame is is twofold. One, would he prefer to stay at Cincinnati and potentially take Luke Fickle's job next year if Fickle leaves, as was the case perhaps last year? Um, and on the flip side of that, would he rather take a head coaching job at a group of five team? And um, and that's one thing you had to consider, right? Was Would you rather defensive coordinator position at Notre Dame or would you rather go elsewhere? Um, do, do you want to jump in here, Steve? Just one point that I think actually makes our signing a little bit more unlikely is that if you compare and contrast, because the the word on this guy is he can recruit his ass off, which is really exciting. Um, where do you think it's going to be easier to recruit big time names, LSU or Notre Dame? Obviously, we have some restrictions, so the fact that he's choosing to come here is is you know, really exciting. Just I'll, that was my interjection. For I'll sure. let you go on. No, for sure. I mean, that's that's. So I was saying the one side of it is, you know, you have the staying at Cincinnati problem, and you have the taking a head coach job elsewhere problem. That's one worry for Notre Dame fans going into that week. The second worry was LSU, and the thing with Notre Dame in the past is, despite being the Yankees of this sport, we're very cheap. We do not spend the big bucks uh, for whatever reason. Our athletic department does not want to compete, and the concern was. Sure, all things being equal, Notre Dame is the best job to go to, probably in his circumstance, other than maybe his alma mater at Ohio State. But LSU is going to offer twice the money. So the report came in on, I believe it was Friday morning, that 
Marcus Freeman, and this was reported by Football Scoop, that Marcus Freeman had told his linebackers at Cincinnati that he was going to LSU. If you recall, Steve, I sent this in the in the chat earlier in that day. Did not look good. In fact, one foot down put out an article saying, looks like we missed out on our guy. Not long after that, a source from Cincinnati said that is not true. So what happened? Because hours after that, he's signing with Notre Dame. What, what Football Scoop said, and they're the ones who reported he signed with LSU in the first place, said that later in the day, Notre Dame had made a push. And basically, the rumor was LSU was offering about two and a half million, and Notre Dame was like in the mid one million mark. And apparently, Kelly improved the offer to a competitive enough salary to get LSU to push LSU off and basically get Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Now, I don't know if I believe this because, again, this is the same report that got it wrong in the first place, but I actually do think the outcome was right there. I do think Notre Dame had to increase the offer. And I think that's what got it done because all things equal, you know, you talked about LSU being an easier place to recruit. That's absolutely true. But he's a Midwest guy. He has ties in Ohio. He has recruited in Indiana with Purdue. He has such a a, a good knowledge of the region that Notre Dame's super appealing. It's super appealing and all things equal. Notre Dame was the choice. And I think that's what happened day of whether the report was right or wrong, I think Notre Dame had to increase their offer to either match or get close to LSU. Because when they did that, we proved we can pull anybody in the country. We can get anybody on this football program because we're Notre Dame if things are equal, mainly pay. So that was huge. Um, I was blown away. I thought he was going to LSU because of the reports. And then all of a sudden, you know, I expected, okay, maybe in a few days we'll hear something right away. Off the bang, a few hours later, he's Notre Dame. So that's where we stand right now. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, Steve, how how excited are you with this hire? Oh, uh, at, at least a minimum of 9, but I'm I'm going to jump this right up to a, to a 10. Um, you know, scheme, recruiting, young. Uh, he knows that he has to put on an absolute showcase over the course of the next 12 to 24 months if he's going to get head coaching looks. Maybe he's, I mean, Brian Kelly is going to be 60 years old this upcoming October. So maybe, you know, he, they offered him potentially to juice and to put add some juice to the deal or sweeten the deal. Uh, maybe they wanted to maybe offer a head coach in waiting position. Who knows? But basically, this guy is a head coach. It's just a matter of time. And the fact that he has such a proven track record, recruits his ass off, young, can appeal to those young guys, and the fact that, um, you know, he he just, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's so exciting. Very, very, very exciting. I think the upside is, is practically limitless. And uh, one area that I think that we instantly improve at is the secondary and obviously not to rehash or reopen the, the old wounds, but that ended up being our downfall. And with guys getting now experience and kind of, uh, you know, filling in at this point, we're going to have a true junior in Kyle Hamilton, who, uh, who's probably, it's going to be his last year, more likely than not. You're expecting to get the most out of him. So it's just, it, it feels like the stars are finally aligning. I don't want to get too excited in terms of saying, Oh, you know, 12 and Oh, you know, playoff appearance, national championship. I'm just saying, between what he can provide over the next 24 months and be, uh, in terms of recruiting, scheme, culture, system, teaching, uh, you know, developing, if he doesn't bring us to the promised land, I think he is a critical and crucial step to getting us to the promised land. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, 
if I would have told you when we lost Clark Lee that Notre Dame might actually upgrade a defensive coordinator, would you think I was crazy? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought it was going to be Elston, uh, if anything. And not that Elston is, is not qualified in any capacity. He's great, and I love him. Um, I I just saw, you know, Lay, Lee, whoever, as kind of this godlike figure because he did such a great job, um, and, and Elko before him. So the fact that we've gone from from Elko to, to, to you know, to Lee, Lay, now to, to Freeman, I think it's just very promising and uh, is going to pay some dividends. Yeah, and I think, you know, everyone was expecting this to be a rebuild year, but one grad quarterback transfer and a coaching hire later, and I, I think we're right back in the mix for playoff contender. Um, we'll get to that bit in a minute. I, I kind of want to get into who Marcus Freeman is and the job he has done at Cincinnati for our listeners. Um, you know, we're not journalists. We don't we don't have <laughs> sources. We don't, we don't know things like that. But what we can do is do some research. So with Marcus Freeman... Um, like we said, he was, uh, he was a very hot hire. Um, everybody wanted him. We thought he was, he's going to be head coach sooner or later. That's the one concern with him at Notre Dame is he might not stay here very long, but a full recruiting cycle with him plus a year of his, you know, coaching acumen, um, it bodes well, I think for Notre Dame. And if you get him beyond that, that's just a cherry on top. So I'd like to get into just a little bit of, you know, stats, uh, of what he's done at Cincinnati so when and a lot of this goes to the head coach Luke Fickle as well right I mean Cincinnati was not very good until they took over uh, but Cincinnati has been through the roof lately so I, I pulled up a few stats a big first and foremost big thanks to NDFB analytics uh, Cooper and Jack they actually did the work on the EPA um, in 2020 Cincinnati's rush defense averaged Negative 0 0.1, 0.06 EPA. That was 24th best in the country. And I keep in mind, of course, this is Cincinnati. They're not recruiting top 10 cycles like we are. Anyway, in 2020 passing, and I, I couldn't believe this, the Cincinnati defense had a 0 0.33 negative EPA per pass for second in the country. That is... To give you reference, Ian Book was throwing a little bit over 0.2 positive. Cincinnati's defense was negative 0.33 EPA per play. That is asinine. That, and, that is second best in the country. Yeah, and to help conceptualize that, that means every three times the opposing quarterback threw the football, they were losing on average one point. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and and what's crazy is that, and we're going to get to the second, the conference they played in is an extremely offensive conference. So the Cincinnati defense this year was among the best in college football. Opponent adjusted or not, it just was. Um, if you look from his whole time at 2017 to 2020 at Cincinnati, um, he had a negative 0.01 pass uh, and a negative 0.07 rush. Again, both of these fared very, very well. And he took over a pretty bad Cincinnati defense. So, you know, EPA is pretty is pretty hard. So I, I wanted to, to, to get more evidence, basically, to convince you guys that Marcus Freeman is absolutely legit. So if you look at uh, defensive efficiency ratings on football outsiders, they basically evaluate um, on the, its opponent adjusted and its um, 
it's garbage time adjusted. So basically, if you played an average team, um, how well would you score against them? And there's offensive and defensive ratings. So for Cincinnati, in 2018, they ranked 14th in the country. In 2019, they ranked 17th in the country. In 2020, they ranked third in the country. And again, this is adjusted to face an, you know, an average team. This Cincinnati defense is legit. They were not very good until Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle, the head coach, got a, got a hold of them. And, and this is where you see the coaching skills, is that not only are you starting to produce more talent, you're seeing the results. And that's something huge that, of course, all fans want to see is the results, you know? I want to see exactly what you're doing. And, and Marcus Freeman has that. If you want to look at, um, for example, scoring defense is a very simple statistic. Basically, how many points per game do you allow? Um, in 2018, Cincinnati had the seventh best scoring defense. In 2019, it was the 30th. But again, this shouldn't be a team in the top 50. And in 2020, they were seventh again. You know, this is absolutely outstanding work and results you're seeing from from Marcus Freeman in, at Cincinnati. And what's crazy is that they're in a very offensive conference, the AAC, the American Conference. I, I looked this up because um, I wanted to see exactly how good it was offensively. Um, they had seven teams in the conference average over 400 yards per game. Holy crap. That doesn't even make sense to me. That's like it's like CFL numbers. Like, yeah, it's doesn't, Big 12 football. <laughs> That's unbelievable. They had seven teams average over 30 points per game. And three of those teams averaged over 300 passing yards per game. This is a pass-heavy offensive conference. And Marcus Freeman and Cincinnati, they're shutting it down. They are having an absolute defensive... I pick a word. It's its glorious. They're having a, uh, an epic time in that conference on defense against a good offensive conference. And this is a conference with Houston, UCF, Memphis, uh, Southern Methodist. These are high-octane offenses. And sure, they are not Alabama. They're not LSU. They're not Ohio State. But they are offensive-heavy teams. And and, and to see this kind of results uh, out of Cincinnati is so astonishing that this hire to me, and in a lot of those years, those stats are better than Notre Dame's defense with Clark Lee. It's just, it's unbelievable. And again, I, I have to go back to the EPA. It's it's negative 0.033 passing yard per play in 2020. That is, that is unbelievable. You have such a good defense out there that probably, you know, if, if Notre Dame beats Clemson, Cincinnati probably should have got that fourth spot. So it's an unbelievable hire. It's, it's, it's just, I can't believe we pulled it off because what this will mean for the program is... Next time we play Alabama, we might have a better answer for them. For sure, for sure. Um, if if you can in any capacity slow them down, and and as we've proven, you know we we do have a ferocious front seven, uh, and it, and it ended up just being the explosive play, the deep passing play, uh, that we just couldn't couldn't lock it down, couldn't you know it, for one reason or another. You know we have so much talent on the field, but I'm not sure whether it's scheme, talent, preparation, or whatever that may be. It was very apparent with Devonta Smith just tearing us apart. So hopefully this uh, again, it's it's one more step on the journey to the promised land, and and uh, it's absolutely a step in the correct direction. So yeah, it's it's not only is the defense getting a good coordinator, it's the passing defense improvement that that happened at Cincinnati that we could really really use at Notre Dame, because look, we're headed towards a more offensive style of football. 
And the better you can defend the pass, the better your defense is going to be. And that's what Marcus Freeman has established at Cincinnati. But what's crazy, Steve, is that some people say that's not even his best quality. Do you do you know what some people say his best skill is? Getting into the living room of recruits and convincing them to commit. Absolutely. This is one area where it is an improvement on Clark Lee. Not that Clark Lee wasn't a great recruiter. Um, it's just that the word on the street was Clark Lee was an okay recruiter and Marcus Freeman is an excellent recruiter. And I crunched uh, some some research and some, some recruiting numbers here. Um, Cincinnati does not usually have a very good recruiting class, right? They're usually ranked... Yeah, Probably 75 to 50. That's not even close, actually. They are bad. But then Marcus Freeman came around and Luke Fickle. And, and the thing is with recruiting classes, you can't attribute everything to Marcus Freeman, right? They have an excellent head coach there, too. But it's just to give you an idea of what that coaching staff has been able to do, which Marcus Freeman is a key part of. In 2018, when they took over, Cincinnati's recruiting class went to 49th in the country. That is that was first in the AAC in 2019, 66 in the country, still an improvement from where they used to be second in the AAC 2020, 41st in the country, first in the in the conference. And in 2021, 44th in the country, first in the conference. And to give you an idea, this is not a power five team, which means by default, they shouldn't be sniffing 50. And the fact that they're in the top 50 and what's crazy is. Out of those four years, Cincinnati has had the top recruiting class in the conference three times. That's a conference that includes UCF, who won a national championship. You know, hint, hint, uh, nudge, nudge. But but you have a, a UCF team that went 12-0 two years in a row, and Cincinnati beat them in recruiting. What does that say about what they got going on in, in Ohio there? Yeah. Um, and in, and, in, in, and in, if in you're those a recruit, cases, where would you rather go? Would you rather go to Florida or, or Ohio? <laughs> Right. So he knows how to win the Midwest. He knows how to compete against Florida teams. And, and and this is not all him. Again, you know, Luke Fickle deserves credit. In fact, our cornerbacks coach, uh, Mike Mickens, was a cornerback coach at Cincinnati. You know, some credit probably goes his way as well. Um, but that just gives you the idea of what the recruiting class has done. And here's the craziest part is group of five teams do not win four star recruits. They just don't. Cincinnati has signed five four-star recruits in the four years that Marcus Freeman was there. This recruiting improvement to our defensive group is going to be, I think, amazing. It's arguably his best traits. You could see the evidence in Cincinnati as a whole improving in his time. You see the evidence on the field at Cincinnati with the the, the numbers supported. He's in a good conference. I'm, I'm excited. I think this is a slam dunk hire. Um, and even if he stays a year, I don't really care. <laughs> He's fantastic. And I think he could be actually maybe Notre Dame's next head coach, depending on when Kelly calls it calls it quits. Uh, Marcus Freeman could be that guy. And, and being from the Midwest, I think, helped. And it's going to help in the recruiting because Notre Dame needs to establish a better pipeline in Ohio. That's something they used to have back in the Charlie Weiss days with Brady Quinn. Um, you would go into Ohio and take some of their best players. Less so these days. We picked up some good receivers there. Um, but that's going to be a, a key part of it. So for me, this is... I, I'm at a loss for words. It's its fantastic. We, we've, we've done a really good job, and Coach Kelly deserves credit for, for pulling this one off. For sure. Yeah, it's exciting. And, and you even think about... you. Know, the the area around there um you can reach into kentucky tennessee virginia you know virginia is where we got chris tyree from 
Uh, Illinois is is huge. Um, and then, you know, I'm thinking Western Pennsylvania. And even if you go east from there, there's usually three, two to three recruits every single year from from like Maryland or Delaware that are like these ridiculous four or five star recruits that and, and they're basically dominated by either Ohio State or Penn State. Um, so if so, if we can get competitive there in, in the mid Atlantic, again, it's just it's just more more exciting and, and just opens the doors to so many possibilities. And if we can if between scheme culture, you know, nationally televised every single week. I mean, he's going to have the the locker rooms, the exposure. There's so much for him to pitch so much more for him to pitch. Think about, you know, he got five, four star guys over the course of his four seasons. Now you just upgrade those to potentially five star guys on, on the defensive front for Notre Dame. You know, think of Think about, you know, last time we had guys in the realm of uh, five star um, you know, I'm in the front seven, uh, Manti Teo, you know, Jalen Smith, I I'm, I'm pretty sure Stefan Tuitt was there or he was, he was pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we have like, you know, Kyle Hamilton, but think about if we have four or five of those guys on the field in, in, and on one given team, and that is how you establish a championship style roster that, you know, yep. the, the last podcast we had, I, I pointed out, you know, when Notre Dame loses these big games in the college football playoff, they lose to all-time epic, astonishingly good teams with NFL talent that last generation. So 20 and 30 guys on, on those rosters going pro. Uh, this could potentially kind of be that that turning point that we're looking for. Yeah, and I think, like I said last time, I think a lot of the difference between Notre Dame and a national championship is recruiting. I think we've developed really well, not particularly at quarterback, but every other position we've developed well. I think we're coached well relative to other top teams. Of course, you know, I'd love to have Nick Saban. Um, but I think, you know, we're the coaching staff is good. I think a lot of the changes have to come with regard to recruiting with the university themselves, but having better recruiters help. And, and that's going to be the case with Marcus Freeman. He's just a better recruiter. So the classes should get better. And when the classes get better into this developmental system where we're punching above our weight in terms of recruiting classes versus what we put out on the field, then you start building that momentum for national championship. And and, and it's going to happen eventually, hopefully. Um, but Marcus Freeman, is, I think, is absolutely the first step in that. What I do think he's going to have to do is win back a transfer portal person a person who has entered the transfer portal at Notre Dame. Um, and that should kind of, I think, segue us into this this next segment here. Let's talk about transfers. Um, since we've last talked to you guys, there's been numerous transfers uh, and draft declarations. But the main ones, uh, transferring, and I'll read them through you in order here. Um, and as I say them, Steve, you tell me if they're a big loss or not, okay? Mm-hmm. So the first one, he had already left the program, but it's official now. Jameer Smith running back. Not too much of a loss. We're deep in the in the room. Second, Jafar Armstrong, wide receiver slash running back. Red-shirted senior. Str- still struggled to get on the field behind Tyree and Williams. You know, there's something to be said for a guy that has experience and who's been there, but he was a three-star out of Kansas. He's replaceable. I, I like him. Wish him luck, but repla- replaceable. Yeah, he barely played for us this year. I don't think that's going to hurt too much. Um, Colin Grunhard, offensive center. Didn't even know he existed. Replaceable. Was not a scholarship player. Um, he graduated and then took his... He's going back home to Kansas, so wish him the best. Um, Isaiah Rutherford, cornerback. 
Zay is uh, moving on. That that one kind of hurts. I know that Zay had some pretty big upside. Uh, I think he was a four star, if I do recall. Uh, so anytime yeah. you lose a four star, especially with our secondary, I mean we are pretty damn deep, and we're going to go through that in more detail. Uh, I just I I thought that Zay had some upside that that was going to translate. I think he was. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's like six two one ninety. And that kind of that tends to be like the the prototype that we basically look at at this point. Uh, you know, kind of long, lengthy guys can defend the one on one ball. Uh, in in theory, let's see if we can translate that to in practice. Um, so yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that one hurts a, a little bit more. I'd say it's like a seven out of ten hurts. Yeah, I. You know, you think of the recruiting rating, and, and that one hurts. But the fact that he didn't get on the field over Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey kind of makes me wonder what his, where he's at in his development at corner. You know, if you can't jump some of those guys on the the depth chart, you know, maybe it, maybe it is the best to move on. He's going to Arizona, um, but yeah, that is a high recruit. Um, I'm gonna skip one name because we'll come back to it next. Ovi Ogofu, defensive end. Yeah, he had a, a very fine and, and very serviceable career, uh, but he was kind of a perennial backup. Uh, there's definitely a lot of talent coming in behind him with Nana and and Foskey, so um, it doesn't hurt that bad. No, it was a little surprising, but um, maybe the depth might take a hit there. But I'm not—that's not a starter you're losing. We haven't lost a starter yet. Um, next up, Jack Lamb, linebacker. That one hurts a lot. I'm not gonna lie. That that I I I was pretty high on but Jack. That Lamb. hurts. That hurts because you liked him, right? That doesn't hurt because he didn't play at all last year. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, he, he basically never saw any sort of uh, significant game time. Um, it was basically special teams and garbage time, so he, he never and, and even in garbage time, it was more so you know Bo Bauer, Myers Leofau, and and other you know. Uh, well, and that's Jack the thing, Kaiser. right? Is our our linebacking group is is pretty crazy right now. Even with losing the Joker, um, our our group is uh, Drew White, Shane Simon, Bo Bauer, Jack Kaiser, Maurice Liaofu, JT Bertrand, JD Bertrand, and and some other incomers, plus freshmen. So you know he got jumped on the recruit on the depth chart, and you know I hate to lose him too because he was a talent when he played, but. Um, you know, that's that's not going to kill the team. There's a lot of depth there, and there's a lot of starters there. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, non-scholarship kicker, punter, Dawson. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Um, you know, he's the backup kicker, um, okay. which is going to be Josh Bryan now. So not a big deal. The big one for me, and the one I want to circle back to, is Houston Griffith defensive back, the number one recruit in the 2018 class. How, how does that one feel? That one's devastating because he would be the prospective starter at safety this year uh, alongside Kyle Hamilton. Um, And and he's, if I recall, he's from Georgia. He's like six foot three. He's just got a a body like a brick shithouse. I mean, he's, he's just ripped and of absolute athletic specimen. So I know that there have been reports that with Freeman, we may entice him to stay and that would be incredible. And that's, Um, and that's what I want to get into um, mm. with him. He's so he was he's from Florida. You were close. Okay. Um, our number one recruit. He was he's been kind of a victim of circumstance. You know, he was recruited as a corner. Um, when we first did the show, we we talked about recruits, and that was the incoming class. And we talked really highly about Houston. He didn't get see time at corner. They tried to move him to nickel. That didn't work. Then he goes to safety, and basically hasn't gotten enough time at any of these positions. And um, and he was going to be the starting safety this year alongside Kyle Hamilton, 
rumor had it that um, you know it wasn't a playtime thing. I think he just wanted to go somewhere else um, for fit, for coaching, for whatever personal reasons. And, and that one hurts. That one hurts a lot because he is your top recruit from that class, and he is a talent. We just never get to see him. And I think that is on the coaching staff for for screwing that one up. You know, we we talk about juice in the nuts for good <laughs> moments in in football games. Well, this is a kick to the nuts. Um, this one sucks. But as you said, Marcus Freeman's first job at Notre Dame is going to be to convince Houston to come back. Um, there is an article today written by um, Brian Driscoll on Twitter. Um, Coach D one seven eight. I know a lot of you guys know him. Fantastic um, X's and O guys. I've been I've been enjoying his content and chatting with him. Um, he's talked about how this should be a priority, and uh, from his sources, it seems like Houston would consider coming because uh, the defensive backs coach uh, Joseph may be leaving, um, and Notre Dame has always wanted him to stay even after the transfer portal declaration. So. This is the big thing now for Marcus Freeman is can you recruit him back into the fold? That's not something I knew you could do, um, but apparently it is. Do you think he has a good shot at, at winning Houston? And follow-up, how huge would it be for this defense to get Houston back in the fold? Yeah, so if you look at uh, pro football focus, uh, PFF uh, actually also grades the college um, the college game as well. And at cornerback... There was uh, Cincinnati produced a first team uh, all PFF uh, cornerback. His name was Ahmad Gardner uh, from Cincinnati, and and he just played uh, absolutely electric this year. And then the second team uh, all PFF cornerback was Kobe Bryant, no relation, um, also from Cincinnati. So uh, this is a guy that has proven that he can take a secondary and really mold and shape these guys into just absolutely dominant lockdown and, and just an exciting overall system and really propel these guys into relevance to the point where, you know, Gardner and Bryant are, are going to get NFL looks where they probably, you know, they might be a, a second or third round guy where normally they would be, you know, a sixth or seventh round guy, you know, more of a depth play because of just, you know, the conference, the, you know, and, and all the other built in excuses the NFL scouts will give you. Um, so now with Griffith being such a, a highly touted talent with him being, in, you know, with having all of the infrastructure with Notre Dame to really succeed, uh, you know, with the scheme that we have with him being right next to Kyle Hamilton um, and with an unbelievable coach coming in, I, I, you really have, uh, and, and especially the fact that now with you know, another transfer, Jack Cohn coming in, it, it gives our offense, uh, again, kind of a, a gap year of giving us a little bit more life to stay competitive. It, it puts 10, 11, 12 wins on the table, which puts you in, in a relevant spotlight, I think. So you, I think if, if he can basically say, Houston, you're my guy, you're my strong safety, I will get you to the spot that you need to be. You will go to the NFL. You just need to trust me and believe in me. And I, I think there's going to be some, some real power to that statement coming from Marcus Freeman. So that's, that's obviously the hope there. When you were saying that, I was just picturing Marcus Freeman saying that to me, and I got really hyped up because <laughs> I believed every word you just said. And imagine that coming from the mouth of, of Marcus Freeman. I think Houston Griffith was set up for a breakout year actually i've been high on this guy for a while and i thought he's going to start next to kyle hamilton watch this kid grow and i thought not only was he going to win the starter spot i thought he was going to put up a really really good year and come back for a senior season with potential of being you know a, a first three day or first three rounds draft pick you know i think he's that kind of talent um 
so getting him back would be huge. In, in your opinion, if you were to put a percentage on it, what do you think the odds are that um, Houston Griffith comes back to Notre Dame? I think now with Freeman, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a sixty percent staying, forty percent leaving. Be- we think a lot of the was, same. It, yeah, before it was basically ninety five five with him leaving, but now I think it's this this really does put a a foot on the scale, hopefully in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I was going to say 60% as well. I kind of leaned Freeman. The report was, and I still want to talk to transfers, but we'll get into a little bit of coaching thing because it, it it moves over here. The report is that Terry Joseph, Notre Dame's defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator, has accepted a job at Texas with Steve Sarkeesian's new coaching staff. Uh, the position is unknown, and this is just reported at the time. It's not official. And apparently, maybe there might have been some tension there, and with Joseph leaving... Um, that could bring Houston maybe back into the fold. Uh, of course, if Marcus can can convince him, maybe that's completely wrong. Please don't take. We're not journalists. We don't know anything. That's just what we've heard. Um, it could be that you know it's an issue with Coach Kelly. It could be he just wants a new scenery. But if that is the case, um, Notre Dame will be looking for a new defensive backs coach. But they could bring back uh, an important defensive back. Um, coaches now. Um, you know we 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 hire Marcus. We tend to lose out on Terry Joseph, who apparently might have tried to interview for that position. And the other big one is longtime coach, um, and not just of Notre Dame, but, you know, at Cincinnati and at Central Michigan with Coach Kelly, Mike Elston, the defensive line and associate head coach at Notre Dame, um, could be maybe leaving. Uh, This is just rumors at this point, but there's talk that maybe Purdue has contacted him about their defensive coordinator position, which I think Bob Diaco was the last man to have that. <laughs> um, what do you think of potentially Mike Elston leaving? I think with Terry Joseph, wasn't a great recruiter, so that's not a big loss for us. But Mike Elston, what is what are your thoughts there? I would hate to lose him. Uh, you know, he's he's done a really, really great job. And I, I know he might be a little bit miffed that he was passed over in terms of the defensive coordinator, given his years in service of the system yeah he's been passed over three times yeah yeah so i i could definitely see him being pissed off about that and and thinking you know what the hell do i have to do i've i've stuck with kelly through thick and thin um i think it would be a, a pretty tough loss nothing that's not replaceable um but yeah you go with you go with what you know and what we know is is pretty darn good right so not that we can't reinvent ourselves not that we can't go and and pull someone relevant and and exciting um but i would just i would definitely very much so prefer to to see elston remain on the staff yeah because i i think he's a pretty good recruiter from what i've heard um and from what i've read um he's obviously produced a very good defensive line at notre dame multiple years now um the defensive line is returning a lot of talent with both kurt and apparently myron is is thinking of coming back um, so that would be a tough loss. It's, it's a long time coach with Kelly. Um, but you know, I'm not, if it happens, I'm happy for him. I won't be devastated. I think Notre Dame has the pulling power to get anybody they want within reason. You know, you're not going to get urban Meyer to come to your defensive line coach, but you know, you're going to get, um, some pull there with Marcus and, and, and coach Kelly and not to, you know, forget Mike Mickens, um, our cornerbacks coach. I mentioned him earlier in the show. Um, he went to high school with Marcus Freeman, and he coached with Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati. That was uh, apparently another big factor in getting him to come to Notre Dame. Uh, Marcus Freeman was actually 
Mike's reference when he was applying for Notre Dame, when he was when he was interviewing for that job. So that's a just a neat thing there. Um, while we're on coaches, um, I, I was doing some research on our coaches. You know what's crazy, and this is not really relevant. Um, our former coaches have played, or our coaches have played formerly for some pretty big schools. Um, the coach Rees, obviously quarterback Notre Dame, uh, running backs coach Lance Taylor was a wide receiver at Alabama. Um, tight ends coach John McNulty uh, was a safety at Penn State. Wide receivers coach Delvon Alexander was a wide receiver at USC. Um, of course, Marcus Freeman was a linebacker at Ohio State. Uh, Mike Mickens was a cornerback at Cincinnati. And uh, Mike Elston, the coach we were just talking to about, was a linebacker at Michigan. So I think it's kind of interesting how our coaching staff is just littered with blue blood, you know, former talent. Um, but that that's going to be something to keep an eye on, too, right, is, um, you know, what happens at, at that position and uh, who's going to be hired to replace uh, Terry Joseph at defensive backs coach. Is it going to be maybe Mike Mickens gets a gets a, a promotion or maybe they'll do an outside hire? Um, but with regard to coaches, um, you know, you have any kind of thoughts on this or or is it more, you know, we got Marcus Freeman and nothing else matters right now? That I, I would tend to lean towards the latter. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it, it's all hands on deck. Everyone contributes in their own way, whether it's uh, recruiting in the film room or even player development. So you, you want to attract the best talent so that way we can develop the best talent. Uh, but all things considered, I think uh, for now, um, you know, we, we got our victory. The war is not over, but we, we, we earned a, a well-fought victory now, and, and we can just move forward, hopefully, with some momentum. So... Good point. Um, let's just move on to the big, big news that happened earlier. Um, right after we recorded our last podcast, we talked about getting a potential grad transfer at quarterback because that looked like a complete unknown going into this next season. Within maybe a day of, of that podcast, Notre Dame um, basically got Jack Cohn, the quarterback out of Wisconsin. He missed all of last year with a broken foot. He is transferring to Notre Dame. Fun fact, he was a once-time Notre Dame lacrosse commit. Um, you know, he he likes the area. He likes the school. So that's a big a big get. Steve, what does, what does getting Jack Cohn mean to you? Um, yeah, so red-shirted senior. I mean, he was, he was a three-star guy off out of Long Island, New York, but he's a red-shirted senior, and, and you know, Basically, the definition or the the differential between a three star, a four star, and a five star is five star is a guy that is so incredibly talented and physically developed by the time he's uh, entering his freshman year on campus that he has the ability to plug and play into any system and get right onto the field and be a difference maker. That's a five star guy. A four star guy is he has all the physical traits, um, but he has the mentality, he has the experience, and he's really, really good. It's just there might be one or two ways that he might be a little bit lackluster. Think of like a wide receiver that is incredible with, uh, you know, with catching the ball. Maybe he needs to work on some routes. Maybe he needs to work on pass block, on, on, on run blocking, something like that. But all things considered, you can still expect probably by the second to third year on campus, a four-star guy to really break through the depth chart. A three-star guy is a guy like Ian Book that it's going to take at least three to four years for him to really shine through on average. They they have a lot of high upside potential, but they're very raw. They're raw in terms of talent and their mentality and their understanding and processing of the game, especially the speed at the next level. So the fact that Jack Cohn, you know, he's a three-star guy, which is nothing to be, you know, 
jumping for joy over, but he's a, a red-shirted senior. He's, this is going to be his fifth year playing football at the college level. He has several years as a starter under his belt. When he was a starter, he won some pretty big and important games, and he put up some pretty decent stats, and he takes care of the football, which I think is something that Brian Kelly has obviously uh, taken as as one of his main priorities from the quarterback position uh, over the last decade or so, um, you know, ever since kind of Everett Golson, right? Because like, Tommy Reese lost his job in fr- because he was turning the ball over to Everett Golson, who was turning the ball over, who went back to Tommy Reese. And, you know, that that's, you know, obviously ancient history at this point. But I, what we're expecting from Jack Cohn is someone who is now developed mentally and physically. He he probably doesn't have the biggest arm on the field, but he's a guy that can move the chains, make the pre-snap reads, read defenses, go through his progressions, and be responsible. And as long as with our offensive line, with our skilled players on the outside, and with our running backs, he essentially has to be a game manager. And that's like Ian Book was at the beginning half of last year, and then Ian very in rapid succession in real time developed into a from a game manager to a game breaker. We don't really need Jack Cohn to be a game breaker. It would be great if he was, but if he manages this game uh, and this team and this offense and has them somewhat respectable, like top 40 in terms of like EPA or efficiency, with the defense, with Freeman, with the coaching, with our schedule which isn't the the you know the hardest schedule in history there's just a lot of pieces that are really falling into place and obvious the, the main obvious point here is it gives true freshman i guess you could call him borderline five star uh, quarterback uh, you know Tyler Buckner from Helix California you give him a year to get on campus get you know get used to the the game the speed uh, how everything kind of plays out and get give him some time to develop so he can walk on as a, a red-shirted freshman and, and be the starter, and, and we can get three to four years from him. Yeah, there's a lot to digest with this, right? So at first, you kind of think, well, this is just a game manager, right? This is just a, a, a lackluster version of Ian Book. I don't think that's the case. I think this is probably a lateral move. Um, what Jack Cohn gives you is probably a little more decisiveness. Yes, he's he's not as great with his legs, but you got to understand he came from a, a way heavier run first team than Notre Dame at Wisconsin, right? That is some Big Ten power football, and of course you'll look like a game manager when you're playing that style. But he's made some excellent throws. He's a 70% um, accurate thrower in 2019. He was 82 QBR, which was ninth in the country, which is really good. It's really efficient. Maybe he's not a game changer, but what he means is that he's efficient. And if you give me a quarterback who's in the 80s with QBR like Ian Book has been, you know, Ian Book was a little over 83 this year, um, we're going to be good. And what this is, and something that you've alluded to earlier in the show, is that it's a stopgap. Right, because basically your choices at quarterback this year were Drew Pine or incoming true freshman Tyler Buckner, who has not played a snap of competitive football since 2019. And I love Buckner. We all think Buckner is the truth. He's the next man. I think he's Kyler Murray, but two inches taller, maybe even taller than that. (laughs) And the thing is, though, you don't want a true freshman, unless your name is Trevor Lawrence, you don't want a true freshman taking you to what aspirations we have. Notre Dame in the last four years has been a perennial 10, 11, 12 win team. We've made the playoff twice. And with Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner, unless there's some really, really impressive growth, you don't expect to win 
11 games. And with the aspirations of this program, it was important to get a proven good, not just random. You want a good quarterback. And that's what Jack Cohn is. I know a lot of people want it just to take your lumps with Buckner and let him practice because, you know, in 2022 where we open against Ohio State and you want him to have some game time. I disagree. I think it. I want to win next year. I want to be competitive, and Jack Cohn is going to give you that. He is going to basically... This team is a con- playoff contention team, but without the quarterback, it is not. And what Cohn does is he holds that together. He holds this roster makeup together. You are not weak at quarterback. And if you're weak at quarterback, you're not going to succeed in, in football. So Jack Cohn brings you a stable, um, efficient quarterback to, to a team that needs it. And look, he's not Joe Burrow, but you got to remember, Joe Burrow transferred. Um, t- from Ohio State to LSU as a kind of nothing, not super well-known quarterback. I mean, he was a uh, he was a late-graded draft pick at the time. And if you listen to Dane Brugler of The Athletic, he says Jack Cohn is actually kind of a sixth, seventh-round quarterback if he would have gone this year. So he, it's not too dissimilar to, to Joe Burrow. I'm not going to say he is Joe Burrow, but you you never know when a quarterback comes in what he can provide and i think just having that steady hand at notre dame is is going to easily win them probably three games more than they would have uh with with tyler buckner and even then you're gonna have time to to put these guys in 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 the game right tyler buckner will see mop-up duty right uh if there's injuries i'm sure he'll be the go-to guy and i understand the argument you know you want him ready for ohio state in 2022 that's not my concern right now my concern is um developing quarterbacks getting them to learn the playbook while still being a competitive you know playoff caliber football team yeah yeah it's it, exactly and i mean we have so much talent that is developing towards 2022 2023 those are kind of the the years that everyone is marking off as you know i i think this is it you know we we could potentially you know get it done uh, you know, the, the rosters just with uh, the recruits and everyone developing, that could be essentially the time when when we, we're in, in the go zone, when that's that's going to be our precipice or, or our peak. So, yeah, um, I, I, I agree with everything, obviously. Very excited, uh, you know, start to finish with the off season and how it's gone. Uh, it, the, the reg, you know, the season ended on a poor note, but it's it's skyrocketed since then. Yeah, all the transfers going out sucks but actually on a balance i think we've improved with bringing a quarterback in that's just how important the quarterback is and if we bring back houston griffith i think this will be an outstanding offseason um so we we did a mailbag on twitter we only have time for one question so and this kind of relates to what you had just said steve so questions coming from christian bogan on twitter c underscore bogan 1989 nd is going to have serious talent at the skill positions which player do you think starts next year at those positions? And do you think the starters will be the same by the end of the year? I'm high on Tyler Buckner. Do you think Andy does a Golson Reese thing with Cone and Buckner? I don't, it's starting from the end of the question and work, working our way up, I don't think that would be the case. I, I, I mean, unless Cone is, is just abysmal, which I don't foresee. I, I, you know, he's, he's, going to be the real deal. You know, I, I don't think people truly understand how impactful Jack Cone coming uh, is going to end up being uh, as a staple to this season. So I, I think that Jack is just going to take the year. You know, this is his only year that he's going to have of eligibility with us. So it's one and done, and he has a chance to go from a seventh-round guy to maybe a third- or fourth-round guy, and that's a difference of several hundred thousand, if not millions of dollars. So you, you better believe 
he's he's playing for his ass legitimately. So uh, I, I, I'm I'm totally fine with just riding with Jack, unless obviously there's there's just it's just not working. Um, now going to the, the the front part of that, which would be you know we we have some serious skill position guys. Which guys do we want to see out there? Um, I want to go with the the Thunder and Lightning. You know, kind of switch. Uh, I'm, I'm I want to be cycling all three guys in the backfield all the time. You know, I, I want to see Sebo Fleminster get 10 carries a game. I want to see Chris Tyree get 10 to 15 touches a game, whether it's through uh, the, the passing game or rushing. And and the same goes for Chris Tyree. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kyron Williams. I want to see him uh, with, you know, 10 to 15 touches a game. One, you keep these guys fresh. Two, you hit them with different looks. Um, you, you, know, you have a scat back, you have a speed guy, and you have someone who wants to run directly through your face. It's it's always good to have you know that that thunder lightning you know Glenn, uh, Lendale White and and you know Reggie Bush kind of uh, duo there. So I want to see us be cycling there. In terms of the the wide receiver position, uh, you know Kevin Austin, please for the love of God just get healthy and develop. And I, this is your year, pal. I mean I, the world is his oyster this year. He is going to be the go to guy. Um, and then there's going to be. You know, probably Avery Davis in the slot for his last year on campus. Um, and, and there's going to be some guys uh, that are going to be able to potentially challenge him. Um, and, and then, you know, on the outside, I think you at this point, you probably have to go with Jordan Johnson. He's just, he's massive. He's like, what, 6'4", something like that. And, and you know, five-star guy. People were concerned that he might transfer because he might be a little bit disgruntled from basically getting almost practically zero playing time as a true freshman. But you're a true freshman, man, and and there was two, you know, there was three seniors on on the team ahead of you, so you kind of have to to put in your dues. So now I think that Jordan, you know, JJ is going to be the guy, and I'm, I'm happy for that. If you think about you know where we were last year, where we had some proven talent, but we didn't have game breakers to this year, prospectively having, you know, three guys on the field at all times between Michael Mayer, Jordan Johnson, and Kevin Austin. I mean, holy crap. I mean, the, the, the whole dynamic of the offense has completely changed. Now, we're, there's going to be a bit of a drop-off in terms of the offensive line play. Hopefully not. But I think that one of our issues with Ian Book kind of having to run around in circles against, you know, higher competition uh, you know, escape the pocket and, and try to make big plays because our guys were not getting open downfield uh, in, in the big moments. And I think that is going to completely fundamentally change in this upcoming year with, you know, with these guys. And, and I hope uh, I'm just very, I'm very high on everything and very hopeful and I'm, I'm getting my hopes up. I'm going to, I'm going to get my hopes up right now. It is uh, January 11th, 2021. And my hopes are officially up. Well said. Um, I'll answer the question um, the same order you did. So uh, on on the issue of the quarterback, Christian, I, I don't think it'll be like that. I'm, I'm in agreement with Steve. The reason being is Golson was a redshirt freshman when he took over, so he had a year at Notre Dame. And also he won the job, and Rees was used to basically close out games and to use in, in, in the key situation when you needed a, a veteran quarterback. I think Cone is just going to win the job and hold it. Um, it'd be interesting if that, if Buckner does win the job out of camp, that, that would be the case, I think, but I I don't think that's going to happen with regard to the skill positions. You look at running back we're we're set what it was last year will be for the next two years, probably, uh, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree and Sebo Flumster. Um, I think Audric Estime, the incoming recruit, he's a bruiser. He's going to be huge for Notre Dame. I just don't think this year. 
Um, uh, with receiver, I was actually just talking to Brian Driscoll uh, again uh, on Twitter about this. I think the starting group at the skill position, you know, at receiver is going to be, you know, Braden Lindsay is probably going to play the field receiver position. Kevin Austin will be the boundary. And I think Avery Davis will get the nod at slot. Um, if the second part of your question is, do you think they'll be the same by the end of the year? I actually don't think so. I think you'll see some injuries. I think Jordan Johnson is going to force his way into one of these positions. I know uh, Coach Driscoll really likes Xavier Watts. That could happen too. I just think Jordan Johnson's got to get on the field somehow. Um, so whether that's you know winning the field position over Lindsay or or maybe taking in a slot, I think Notre Dame could really use some depth at slot because right now it just looks like Avery Davis and Lawrence Keys. I know Lauren, uh, Lorenzo Styles can do it as well, but I think the slot position is there to be one. I, I do think Lindsay Austin Davis is your starting lineup for, for week one, but I don't think it'll end that way. I actually think that Jordan Johnson will fight or, you know, maybe one of the true freshmen. I can see Lorenzo Styles maybe just being dynamite and winning that slot receiver position. Um, in terms of skill positions, I'll also include corner as a skill position. I don't know if you guys do at home or not, but I think it is. Um, that's a mess. That's an absolute mess right now at corner. They need to get a grad transfer. I don't know if Nick McLeod's coming back. I doubt it. Um, but they need to get something there because on my depth chart right now, I have Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey as your one and two. And I don't think either of them should be a one or a two. Um, that could easily be different by the time the end of the season goes around. If we don't bring in anyone else, uh, Philip Riley will compete for that. Converted wide receiver Cam Hart will compete for that. Um, there is Ramon Henderson and Caleb Offord, but I think actually the incoming freshman of Ryan Barnes and Chance Tucker could win that position. I think you could see a safety move over. Uh, maybe DJ Brown goes back to corner. Um, it, it's a mess right now. So in terms of cornerback, that'll be one to follow for sure. I think wide receiver, as Steve and I have covered, uh, we're pretty set there. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of it. Uh, one thing before we go, obviously, talk about People who declared for the draft real quick um, since we last talked. Tommy Tremble left. That's a shock. Um, so we're a little bit thinner at tight end. Um, all the offensive linemen went. Uh, both defensive ends, Ade and and uh, and Dalen Hayes left. Uh, obviously, Jeremiah Wusukormoa left. Um, so we didn't win any there. The only guys who used their blanket year of eligibility to come back was Kurt Heinisch, and it looks like Myron. Uh, we'll come back as well on the defensive tackle position. So defensive tackle will be loaded. In fact, it's almost too loaded because we're kind of preventing some younger talents from getting in there. I wonder if a guy like Riley Mills might move back to defensive end just because he was so, so good when we saw him on the field. Um, do you have any thoughts with regard to the draft and how that might have an implication on the team? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it stinks losing a couple of key guys, but We've had so much depth for so long. We've been building towards this. Um, you know, it's it's no longer that you have, you know, three star guys that are getting on the field as a redshirt, a junior, uh, and and then they're gonna you know do a junior and senior year, and then you're gonna basically reload with maybe a four star guy a couple of years down the line. It's like it's it's four star, four star, four, 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 four. It's just like all these guys that are coming in that technically can can play as freshmen. But, you know, there's just there's some depth ahead of them. But by the time they step on the field as a redshirted sophomore, uh, you know, such as next year, Isaiah Foskey or Nana Osofa Mensa, you know, those guys, I, I think, are, or Jason Adimiola, 
you know, Riley Mills, Jacob Lazy, Howard Cross the third. You know, there's you know, the defensive front is gonna be the real deal. We are really, really strong at linebackers still. You know, Shane Simon, Jack Kaiser, Maris Leofau, Isaiah Pryor, uh, you know, Drew White, Bo Bauer. You know, this true freshman we have coming in, Prince Collie, a lot of people are like thinking he's gonna be our the next great uh, you know, linebacker coming in at Notre Dame and, and he could play potentially Rover or the Mike or the buck. And, and so he's very versatile. So yeah, we lost some talent, but I think we, I think people are going to be quite surprised by the reload and, and just how deep we were. Yeah. And another thing with Marcus Freeman, going back to him for a second is we don't know what the defense will look like. He brought a three, three, five in at Cincinnati, but he's used both three and four man fronts. I think we're more suited for a four man front. And I think, I mean, Kelly probably and Freeman have, you know, worked this out. I think they're going to be versatile. And that's a sign to me of a just an intellectual person to begin with is pragmatism, someone who can adjust to the talent around him. And I think this is what Marcus Freeman is going to do. So we're just kind of operating, you know, our depth chart on the assumption that we're bringing back the 4-2-5. Um, but you'll see mix, right? You'll see different packages when you have three corners out there. You know, you'll have two linebackers or you'll have, you know, three down linemen. It's, it's whatever it is, right? So... I, I think we're going to wrap this up and just to let the listeners know what the future holds for the four horsemen, we are going to do Steve and I, um, a recruiting podcast, hopefully soon. Uh, we're thinking maybe national signing day, which is early February where we will go through the whole class, talk about our projections, what we hope from them, uh, what we like. And, and that'll be fun. We'll obviously do the draft as well. Talk about which Notre Dame players have, have, uh, been drafted. And we'll also do a spring. I imagine we'll cover, um, you know, the the post spring ball game. And I think what we'll do, because we're kind of sneaking it into this episode, we should save it later. We'll do a depth chart roster breakdown. I think in the spring. You know what I mean? I'm looking at this now. I think we need to know who's still here, who is left, what the scheme is, and I think after maybe the blue and gold game, we could break that down for you guys in more detail because I have a lot of thoughts on the offensive line. You know, Steve, if you recall our 2018 first episode, we talked about recruits we liked and we talked about Quinn Carroll and Zeke Carell. Yeah. We hadn't heard them until three years later where only now they're starting to get in it. And I think that's the case with this offensive line group too. Blake Fisher, Rocco Spindler, Joe Alt, uh, Caleb Johnson. This is a great group. I, as much as I love them, I don't think we're going to see them for two or three years. And and just that kind of stuff I want to talk about. So we'll dedicate a whole episode to roster breakdown, depth chart breakdown. So, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So we'll do recruiting, we'll do draft, and we'll do basically post-spring ball and uh, and what the depth chart looks like. And that'll probably take us into the summer where we'll talk about any kind of new news or any kind of, um, again, we'll probably do a fall roster breakdown before the season starts. And then we'll start with the season. So for longtime listeners, um, thank you guys. Uh, that's kind of our plan for for this off season is to record, uh, you know, four to six times before August, and then and then get back into the season. So Steve, do you have anything uh, to say before we sign off here? In the year 1993, <clears throat> when Notre Dame is the national champion, we are just not recognized, but we are. Um, Three year starter Rick Meyer moved on. He graduated, and they had one year of Kevin McDougal while a very highly touted freshman, true freshman QB, waited in the wings to take over eventually. So a three-year starter from quarterback moves on. A a one-year stopgap quarterback comes in, and then there's a true freshman waiting in the wings for big things to come. 
You heard it here first. I'm doing it again, and I will not stop. It feels like 1993. Let's go. <laughs> you heard it here first. We'll do this every year because we provide you unabashedly biased propaganda on this podcast. We are absolute homers, but we do pretty good analysis, I think. And if you guys agree, give us a five-star rating on Apple Music. We need to counteract all those Alabama fans who are mad with us. And uh, and tweet at us. You know, we, we love to hear from you guys um, at Horseman Pod. And it's going to be a good offseason. If anything breaks, we'll be here for you. And, and that's the plan. So um, go Irish. Go Irish. Feels like 93.